Well, I add my welcome to Pastor Brett's this morning, uh, giving thanks to the Lord for the mothers that are with us and also for uh, those who are remembered. I simply want to say Happy Mother's Day. And I invite you now to open your Bibles or one of the few Bibles to the Gospel of John, uh, to John chapter 17. Today we come to the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Now, you'll notice if you've had a chance to read it uh, over the weekend that in the first five verses of this incredible prayer, Jesus is praying for himself, for his own glory in relation to the glory of his Father. And then in verses 6 to 19, Jesus prays for his disciples that they would reflect his glory and be marked by joy and holiness, unity and love. And then as you come to our verses this morning, verses 20 to 26, Jesus prays for the people of God everywhere at all times. Of course, that includes us as Jesus prays for the church. So please hear the word of God. This is John chapter 20, verses 20 to 26. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we now give attention to your word, please open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law and so be transformed To the glory of your grace, through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Well, wherever you land on the political spectrum, what an honor for Liberty University to host the sitting president of the United States for their commencement speech in this weekend's graduation. Now, I was listening to so many parents who were asked by various news commentaries before President Trump arrived, what would you want the president to say to your sons and daughters? Now, parent after parent spoke of the achievements of their family members and expressed the privilege that the president was speaking. They hoped, though, that the president would be inspiring and encouraging and not political at all. So perhaps with me, along with fathers and mothers, you wanted to listen carefully to what the president would say to students graduating in our city. Trump encouraged the class of 2017, and this is reflecting some of the official documents of Liberty University, but he encouraged them to be champions for Christ, whether laboring as a missionary, shepherding the church, 
blessing the community, and that they should do so with faith, hope, and love. It's wonderful to listen to what the president told these students. Now we come to John chapter 17 with a few questions. What would it be like to listen intently to the prayers of our God and Savior? It's one thing to listen to the president, but what about listening to Jesus? How would God the Son pray to God the Father? What would be the desire of His heart? What would be His passion? And thankfully, praise God, we have Christ's prayer. And what Jesus prays, we can be assured, is perfectly within the will of the Father. And it will be perfectly answered in God's gracious providence. For every believer and for everyone who will come to faith in Christ, Jesus Himself has prayed for you. And in prayer, He creates a beautifully cut diamond for us as His people. Now, Philip Melanthon, Martin Luther's advisor and colleague, wrote of this prayer. There is no voice which has ever been heard, either in heaven or in earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than the prayer offered up by the Son of God Himself. And this is what we are here to listen to this day. For Jesus prays for the church that we would be one, that His desire would be realized, that we would know their love. So let's begin with our first point. Jesus prays for the church that we would be one. It's in verses 20 to 23. And Jesus is praying for our unity to know the essence of our oneness. And three questions seem to be answered in this prayer. First of all, who is this unity all about? What this unity is and why this unity is so important. So first of all, just as you look at the very first verse, Who is this unity all about? Notice as Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, he's referring to the apostles, but I'm also asking for future generations of believers, for those who will believe in me through their word. Now this is so important, dear family. He is talking about a specific group that is to be unified. It is the new humanity, the new society that Jesus came to create. He came to create it where we would actually be brought together and as one in one family. And so for us to be unified, we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about following some set of rules, but it is about believing in the one who God has sent We are united by the power of the message that is in the Word of God. It's impossible for humanity to be unified without a common faith in Jesus Christ is what is implied in this prayer. Just look over the world and note the strife and conflict that is unresolved in continent after continent, nation after nation, tribe after tribe. Yet in the midst of a broken world, Jesus is establishing this new united humanity. It happens because we are in Christ. The key to this union, this family life, is that we all believe in our Savior. Note here that Jesus is praying for every single believer. No one is left out. Now you may say, Ron, you don't understand, I'm just an odd bird. 
I have trouble getting along with everyone. Or you may be thinking about that unique person just sitting down the pew, not realizing that you are probably the one that may be in need of prayer. And yet, you are not excluded. So God is praying, Jesus is praying, knowing that sometimes we all need a little bit more time than perhaps the person sitting next to us. And yet He's praying for us to be one. Now what's the nature of this unity? This is the second thing that kind of evolves in these first three verses. These special little words help us in this nature. Verse 21, just as. Verse 22, even as. Verse 23, even as. And here's the key. Our unity with one another is not something that we are able to create. No, unity is something that is given to us. It's even as the unity that exists between the Father and the Son. It's even as we are in them, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we are in them. God has given us this gift of unity and we are called to preserve it and to promote it. It's a unity of heart. It's a profound spiritual gift. It's a mystical union. We are profoundly related to one another in Christ. Now there are at least four mystical unions in Scripture. We start with the Trinity, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Is God one or is He three? And I say, yes. Another mystical union exists within the very person of Jesus. In Christ you have a union of heaven and earth. How can that be? Is He human or divine? Yes. Third, there's this wonderful mystical union of Christ and His people. We saw this a few weeks back when Jesus declares that I am the vine, you're the branches. We are in union with Him. We are in organic relation and connection to Jesus Christ. He is the head. We are the body. Yes, we're one. And yet in this fourth mystical union, Jesus prays for the union among all believers. He prays that just as the first mystical union of the Trinity is real, may there also be a spiritual unity among my people. Verse 23, that they may be perfectly one. Perfectly. Zero tolerance for division. Zero tolerance for leaving anybody out. Zero tolerance for unresolved conflict. Jesus prays for perfect unity for us as His church. This is high and holy ground. And dear brothers and sisters, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you are on that holy ground. This is your calling in life. This is what Jesus is praying for you. He cares about this. And let it begin in your homes, perhaps in Sunday school classes or small groups or even when you go out with someone for coffee, let there be unity. Speak to that grace in one another's lives. Even as individually we are but pieces of a puzzle, when the Lord brings us together, praise God, we are one beautiful whole. There's unity in our diversity. It's what makes the church beautiful. Diverse people with different gifts and we come together, we're bound together as Paul tells us in Ephesians 4. We are called though to live a life worthy of our calling, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. Jesus prays, one, one, one. That is who you are. So brothers and sisters, it's incumbent upon us that we preserve and that we promote that which has been given to us. Now how do you do that? Well, it's through humility, patience, long-suffering. It's opposite of those vices of selfishness, of anger, unresolved conflict that you see scattered all over the news each day of the week. And Jesus is saying to us in His prayer, I'm taking this old broken world to another place where there's unity and love, truth and holiness that will be seen in My people. Now why did He pray this prayer? Well, that the world will know, Jesus says, that the world, that the Father has sent the Son. You know, when the church is unified, the world can see that something divine is in the midst of the church. And it's the Lord Jesus Himself who has given us His glory and He's given the glory for us to shine to the world around us. There's something that is here amongst the people. And we pray that as the world looks in, that they will see this glory. They may not always believe it, but at least they will see it. And we invite all to come in. So Jesus, first of all, prays that we would be one. But notice, secondly, that He also prays that His desire be realized. Now this we see as we come to verse 24. And technically, Jesus is no longer praying for us. He's really praying about us. That His desire be realized. Now, it's interesting. It really is fascinating. Here we have a private conversation between the Father and the Son, and they are talking about you, and they're talking about me. What are they saying? How do the Father and the Son talk about us when they're just talking among themselves? And, well, here you have it. It's it's brilliant. Righteous Father, I have a desire. I have a will. I have a deep request or decree that these folks... See my glory. Now that's an amazing thing. He's not requesting. He's just actually saying, Righteous Father, this is my will. In verse 24 in the English Standard Version, it says, I desire. I actually like the King James because it says, I will that they see my glory. It's a very strong word. The Son now is not in disobedience to the Father. Jesus is just sharing His heart with the Father and they are one. And I will that they be one with Me. Now, now, why is this so important for us to see? Remember, it is on the night that Jesus was betrayed. It is on the night of His greatest vulnerability. His greatest weakness. And he realizes and he's saying, in essence, Father, my beloved have seen me in my weakness when sinful humanity has despised me, scorned me, rejected me. Father, these disciples have seen me in my weakness when even tonight have I been praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Blood has been pouring out of my pores due to the anguish of my soul to face your wrath on their behalf. 
Father, these men will see my weakness on the noonday tomorrow because I'll be beaten in public court and I'll be shamed and I'll be stripped. Father, these men will see them put a crown of thorns on my head till blood flows down on my face. There will be amazing weakness. Father, they will see my weakness when they take my worn out body and place it upon the cross for the sins of the world. They will hear me grasp my last breath and they will see my weakness when my limp body is taken to a borrowed tomb. Father, I will that they see my glory. That one day they will see me seated at your right hand, ruling the universe with the angels and archangels bowing down before the throne of your grace. And saints from all the ages, the ones who believed in me, who have been placed in this united humanity, all gathered together, worshiping the Father and worshiping the Lamb who was slain. Lord, I will that they see my glory. And brothers and sisters, we know his weakness. It's in yourself or you have also experienced the shame and scorn from a world that doesn't appreciate the word of God. You too are suffering and dealing with death and will one day be buried yourself unless the Lord comes before that day. And we all share tears for weakness as we are alive and yet around others who suffer and pass. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ has plans for you that one day you will no longer see your weakness, my weakness, but you will see the Lord in all of His splendor. This is the highest good, the summum bonum, the ultimate goal of every one of His people. That we would lay eyes on the Son of God, the Son of Man, and lay eyes on the very incarnation of God Himself. This is the greatest thing of all. Just one glimpse of our Savior. And yet, dear family, we will not just have a glimpse, but we will see Him for all eternity high and lifted up. And Jesus can't help but to pour out His heart to the Father because this is precisely why He went to the cross, that you might see Him in His glory. And now we come to one last thing that He is praying here. That we would be one, yes, that His desire would be realized, but finally that we would know, we would know their love and reflect their love to the world. Now, most of us in this room share a persistent issue. Our challenge is we strain with knowing how much God loves us. Yet Jesus deeply, deeply, passionately loves His people. And Jesus is praying to His Father that we would know the love in which we are anchored. And anchored that is shared by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Oh, do you see how profound the church is? Those of us who have been around a while, we've seen all kinds of things which seem to suggest that the church is weak. But do you know how precious our unity is here in our church? 
God has blessed us with great unity and we see His glory and one day we will behold it even more. And yet, brothers and sisters, can you wait for that day where there will be no impediments for your love for one another? And no impediments to receiving His love or giving it back that will be a community full of love of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that is what our Savior is praying for you and for me today. All the glorious things that God has done in redemption for our salvation, they reflect His glory through His redeemed, through you and me, as we repent of our sins and trust in Him daily for salvation. Now, He manifests His love for us today, both internally and externally. Why internally? Well, this is it. There's a natural tendency in all of us to not live for God, nor serve God, nor discipline ourselves for godliness, but rather to live for ourselves. So in order to display His glory in us, our Lord had to change even each of us from the inside out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not just come to deal with the symptoms of our sinful lives, but to rather to address the root cause of it. So He is changing our hearts the moment that we are regenerate and the old is passing and now the new has come. You have a new nature because our natural man is corrupt and in affections and in desires. And so in Christ, we are made new creatures. I love what Paul tells us. You know the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We live in this constant sense of newness. Consequently, our desires are affected. We begin to love the things of God. To love the Word of God. To love obedience. A work is going on in our lives that can only be explained in terms of the mighty work of God in Christ through the power of His Spirit. Do you know that reality? Of the mighty work of God within you. But it's also happening externally. Think of this. Whatever is happening internally does not just go into hiding. I love this. From the internal work, we find the glory of Christ being displayed externally so that Christ is evident in all. As you look over John 17, Jesus is praying for you and for me. His prayer reflects His desire for common ingredients to radiate from His church, from His people. When we think of unity, His will, their love, it all involves your relationships to something or to some person. Now think of this. He's praying this throughout the whole chapter. Joy is our mark to ourselves. Holiness is the mark that we have in relationship to God Himself. Truth is the mark that we have in relationship to the Word of God. Mission is our mark in relationship to the world. Unity is the mark in relationship that we have with one another in the church. And love, well, it summarizes them all. 
We deal with Christian relationships and all these things as God's children. And so Christ prays for His church that others will see. Now as we come to conclusion, you know, if a jeweler wants to display the brilliance and beauty of a diamond to you, he doesn't use a backdrop of a white cloth. Instead, he places the diamond on a black velvet cloth so that against the dark backdrop, you can see every hue of the diamond's glory. And this is what Jesus is doing. God has displayed His own glory against the backdrop of our humanity. Our poor vessels of clay. Dead in trespasses and sins. Sons of Adam, imprisoned by sin, bound by spiritual darkness and deadness. These very ones are now liberated in Jesus Christ so that He will be glorified in our jars of clay. Oh, there is a great reflection of His glory which signs to the weakness of who we are apart from Him, but with Him, oh, it's so glorious. Now, if the Lord has not done a saving work internally, there surely cannot be this outward display of His glory. But when He has done this work, oh, His desires are that you would show forth the brilliance and beauty of His holy life through you. Dear family, He lives in you. Hallelujah. He lives in me. Hallelujah. And together we live as one. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for this extraordinary prayer. Knowing that Your prayers are effective in our lives. We truly are not worthy even of the last of its petitions except through the precious redeeming work of our Savior. We pray that You would fill our vision with the will and splendor of Christ. That we would reflect His glory through our oneness. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.